everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where we are back from Rosh Hashanah, and we are 10 pounds heavier. Good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. Who do I see behind the board? It is Yoni Pollock, who I feel like I have not seen in forever in a day. Hello, Yoni. <laughs> morning, morning, morning. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. Your holiday was good? Holiday was great. You ready for Yom Kippur? Always. Okay. I happen to really like him. You're in a you're in a permanent state of Asar Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <it's all laughs> That's down. what yeah. it sounds like. Where are you for Yom Kippur? Uh, Heights, my apartment. They really? There, yeah. That you dive in your apartment? Not in my apartment. That's uh, what it sounded like for a second. Away at the Shank Shul up there. The oh, Washington very Heights. nice, yeah. very nice. So it's all it's all the youngsters. Yeah. Old people like me are not showing up there. You never know. Some people like the Chazan there. He's been there for like 20 years. Who's the Chazan? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask that. Rabbi, uh, I think, Rothberger? Rabbi Rothberger? He's been davening there for 20 years now. Wow. So he has people that show up just for him. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, that's the way I feel about Rabbi Shai Schachter, who davened second day Musaf in the minion I was at in Woodmere. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was great. It was I'm great. Sure. He's sure. He's certainly a reason to go to shul. Very often, and certainly on, on Yontif. If you needed another reason. If I needed another reason, right. exactly. Listening to his davening was fantastic. Oh, we have a lot going on, by the way, and my guest is just about to join us. So I want to do the fortune cookie. I just also want to mention, by the way, that I brought in these fortune cookies. I did not allow you to touch the fortune cookies. <laughs> you had nothing to do with the picking of these fortune cookies, and that's why they're good. I don't know. I thought New Year, maybe, you'd, you'd give me another chance. No. Maybe New Year would bring along. Me and my big math, they're all cracked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that shows me. All right, so we're just going to use this cracked one, even Great. though it's it's a violation of all my rules. Wow, starting off the year. Can like I just that. tell you something? Between this and spilling like the uh, dressing all over me on this on the subway this week, my karma is nished good. Mm-hmm. All right, hold on. This says your ingenuity and imagination will get results. All right, that should bode well for us around here, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you want the numbers? It's a good message. Are you going to play the numbers today for me? Probably not. If we're being honest. All right, well, that was a bit of a letdown there. <laughs> um, national holidays, folks. National holidays. It's Fish Tank Floor Show Night. I have no idea what that means, but I like saying fish tank, so there's that. It's like a tongue twister. Fish Tank Floor Show Night. Yes, it's National Good Neighbor Day. We are good neighbors, and I mean that as the network. We take care of our neighbors on this floor. You think State Farm does anything on like a day like today? Oh, that's funny. Good thought, huh? Yeah, we should check out their uh, Instagram, yeah, Twitter feed, something anything. like that. Social media. Exactly. Um, it's International Right to Know Day. It's World Maritime Day. I don't... There's a college maritime. That's all I... I don't know what that is. means. It's boats. Oh, boats. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, boats. Um, how about this one? Uh, it's World Rabies Day. Do you know what rabies I, is? I, I okay. Know rabies. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah. I'm beginning to. I'm beginning to question the depth of knowledge of our youngsters today. Yeah, maybe after everyone's hearing this live, we'll edit out that other part. What was? Wh- who was it that you said you didn't know the other day that we we were horrified? No idea. No. The gangster. Nothing. Oh, yeah. No idea. Right. John oh, Pretty. what? John Dillinger. John Dillinger right. No, I know who that is. Right. Gangster. He's in season four of West Wing. Right, Paula? No, he's not. No, he's Can't really not. John Dillinger, John Dillinger is not mentioned at all anywhere in West Wing. That is for sure not. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. More than uh, 20 years ago, the name Barry Mishkin came into my world. Not because I knew him personally at the time, but because he was a very close friend of both my brother and my sister-in-law. And at the time, they were all in medical school together. 
They graduated from Einstein. That led to residency. That led to everyone getting married, moving to Riverdale. And my brother and his wife, along with Barry and his wife, Sari, all lived together in the same building in Riverdale. And while when you, you know, when you get married, you move out of the house, you're not always familiar with everyone that your sibling is friends with because, you know, you're not, you're not living under the same roof anymore. You don't always hear the same names. But everyone in my family knew who Barry was. He was the Canadian with the huge smile, the wonderful sense of humor that my brother and sister-in-law completely adored and loved like family. And frankly, they probably loved him more than family, which is a good thing. Word of Barry's illness as a result struck all of us. My brother and sister-in-law were totally, totally struck. And as a result, we all felt that. Um, After his passing, after a very hard fight, all of our hearts were broken. Barry was survived by his wife, his son, his parents, his siblings, and hordes of friends and community members who mobilized in many different ways to give Barry a healthy outcome. But unfortunately, at the young age of 34, Barry passed away. Dr. Daniil Mishkin details Barry's story and what he himself learned as a doctor about what patients and their advocates go through. He details this story in a book available on Amazon. It is titled The Other Side of the Bed, What Patients Go Through and What Doctors Can Learn. Dr. Daniel Mishkin is a graduate of McGill University, or I should say McGill University Medical School, and he's a chief gastroenterologist at Atrius Health, and he is dedicating dedicated to educating the next generation of physicians at Harvard Medical School. He lives in Boston with his family. He joins us this morning so we can discuss the other side of the bed and what physicians can learn from patients as they are going through traumatic times. Good morning, Dr. Mishkin. Good morning, and thank you for having me today. Totally, totally my pleasure, and I I thank you for joining me. I, I this is going to sound a little bit strange, but I sort of want to start backwards. I, I don't know if your end game as a physician was to school other physicians, to be that person who leads future doctors through medical school or in their training and, and is imparting you know lifelong wisdoms to those people so that they too can be better doctors and benefit from his experience. So I wonder if you could talk about that. Was that something you already you had already planned on doing or as a result? of being on the other side of the bed with your brother and advocating for him, you decided, you know what, the only way I'm going to better shape the next generation of physicians is talking to them directly. Now, this is something that really evolved over time. There's no doubt that this was not my dream, and I only wish that I wasn't the person who had to write this book. If I take a look back to before my brother passed away, one of his goals was to try to create something positive out of such a tragedy. Unfortunately, many people suffer. Literally, everybody goes through some sort of difficult time and suffers with themselves or their family. And he really felt that we needed to make something positive of such a situation and that that would give him additional meaning. When he, before he passed, he asked that the book that he had actually started to write uh, be published. And I got to tell you, this was a very tough task and was not something that I would have ever wanted to do. I think that it only came across with time, once I had more of life's experience, more maturity, that I really saw that this was something that I had to do in his memory. This was something he wanted to do, and I know he would have done the same if the roles were reversed. 
And so it was really in this process of hearing what he wanted to be done and then eventually writing the book. And I got to tell you, this was probably the third time I wrote the book. <laughs> and no, no one wants to read the first one, which was, without a doubt, full of rage. Uh, the second one looked a little bit more reasonable. But this one, I'm hoping, and obviously the one that was published, is one that is really trying to give an insight to what it's like to be on both sides of the bed, to educate the young physician, to also educate patients and their families what doctors go through. And I, I have to tell you, it's been a real eye-opener since I started to teach at Harvard Medical School to see how much the younger generation wants to soak this up, hmm. wants to go ahead and learn. And I, I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people that are open to this concept. Are, are physicians today missing that element overall, do you feel? I, I mean, there's one, there's one part of the book that um, really, really struck me. I should say a number of part of the book, but, but this part about the fear of, of litigation for doctors, the litigiousness of our society, that I wonder if we're... You know, we're sort of scaring off doctors, aren't we? We're, we're, we've created a society or we've created a culture where there has to be somebody to be blamed. Somebody has to be blamed for something. And we expect doctors to be perfect, to be, you know, more than human. And so I wonder if your, your approach um, tends to bring back that humanity to physicians and saying, listen, you need to understand what patients are doing. You need to understand what patients and their families are going through, and they too will better understand physicians. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that right now we, medicine has many faults, and I'm not dealing with political issues or, or, or congressional decisions, but rather the concept that we, we want to try and do, and what I'd love to see happen, is bring medicine back to healthcare providers, and taking care of patients. And really, this is the key important thing. As you had mentioned before, and I grew up in Canada, my father's a gastroenterologist in Montreal, and having grown up in the Canadian system and then doing my medical school and residency there, the litigious issue is not front and center like the way it is here in the States. Uh, yesterday, it's hard to believe that this literally just happened yesterday, I took care of a patient who's currently in the middle of a lawsuit against two physicians, uh, for a issue that was literally an unfortunate situation. And his request to me was, he knows that I know the other physicians, and if he could just tell them that he's not upset with them, even though he's continuing the lawsuit against them for, unfortunately, the loss of his wife. We all in medicine are fearful, fearful of litigation, and sometimes that overrides our, our true concept of what we're trying to do because we're more worried about covering our rear ends and I can only hope that one day we can get back to the concept of providing health care to our patients and tailoring it rather than what we're afraid other people may say or think of or the actual cost of the care. But how do you impart that to a future doctor, somebody who's still doe-eyed, someone who hasn't, hasn't been hit with their first lawsuit? How do you remind them that being empathetic and, and feeling for the patient and their family and their fears is still a crucial part of what it means to be a doctor? Like anything in life, everyone has to be recentered at certain times. And we will all go through waves, whether we're talking about physicians or other professions, where things will be more in our forefront and be a little bit farther down the list shortly afterwards. And we go up and down. 
I think that one of the key things and one of my goals for this type of a book is to try and recenter the physician for trying to do the right thing. We can't always give 120%. We can't always make sure that the chart is perfectly uh, acceptable for the lawyers. But the reality is, is that hopefully we can do the right thing. And patients will also hopefully see that as well. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Dr. Daniil Mishkin joins me on the phone from Boston. He's the author of The Other Side of the Bed, What Patients Go Through and What Doctors Can Learn. The book is available on Amazon, but it's also available through the website, theothersideofthebed.com. I took a couple of minutes to go through the website, not just because it's mentioned at the end of the book, but because I had been tipped off to the fact that there are anecdotes about your brother, personal anecdotes that people who knew him, good friends of his from medical school, etc., including an anecdote by my sister-in-law and, and a picture of Barry with my brother, more than one picture uh, on the website, um, which I found, you know, completely moving. Tell me why it was important to you to include that angle on the website. Why is it important to you that everyone get to know who Barry was? Barry was a very special person, and um, there's many stories that I can tell you about what makes him so special, whether it was his giggle, his desire to always remain a child, the fact that his maturity never reached above six, but yet he was still able to finish medical school and, and, and uh, be a physician, whether it was the fact that he was born on February 29th and everybody loved to bug him that he was born on a leap year, <laughs> Barry was truly special. And uh, we lost someone too young. And in this day and age with Facebook and other social media, we can see pictures of other people. And one of the things that I get a lot of comments from, from a lot of Barry's old friends, is can you send me a picture because I don't have a digital picture. I think it's really important that the fact that he passed away in 2002 before the Internet availability and the, and the concept of, of posting every single thing you eat and, and do in this world, <laughs> the reality is that there isn't that forum where someone could type Barry Mishkin's name into the computer and see a picture of him mm. and feel better about themselves. And this was something where I really felt it was necessary. But also, it's so important for me to make sure that people who read the book don't think of Barry Mishkin as the person who suffered or went through leukemia or as an example for other physicians to learn, but rather the Barry Mishkin, who is my big brother, my big brother who taught me so many things, who caused so much trouble that I'm lucky that he included me as his partner in crime on so many different occasions. That's the Barry that I want to get across. And if you take a look at some of those anecdotes, they'll tell you about the Barry giggle, Barry getting into trouble in a fun and loving way. But what's amazing is since his passing, there are so many people who've come over to me to say, Barry Mishkin, he was one of my best friends. Mm. And it's not just one or two people who have said this to me over the years, but dozens. And I, I wish I had more than a couple who could actually say that about me. <laughs> but there are so many people who literally will tell me, oh, I'm so-and-so. And, you know, while there was a six-year age gap between the two of us, he was the immature one and I was the old man at birth. So we definitely spent a lot of time together, and we, we made it work uh, as he tolerated me. But there, there are people whose names I'd never even heard of, and yet they're telling me they're one of Bar they were one of Barry's best friends. Barry touched a lot of people, and I'm hoping that seeing some of those pictures, hearing some of the stories, 
it'll rekindle. And there's a lot of stories that people sent me that unfortunately are not rated that I can put <laughs> them on the website. So uh, there, uh, one day there might be a, you know, a username and password to get into those stories. Those are the outtakes. But I, it doesn't sound like that surprises you because he was that kind of person. He was everyone's best friend. So the more anecdotes you hear, the more people who come out of the woodwork, woodwork you're like, of course. Exactly. it, And that's why I, I'm hoping for the benefit of this book for doing what he wanted, which is definitely helping. There's no doubt it's helping me with my dealing with the tragedy, but also for people to remember him. And uh, as a lot of people have said since the book has come out, we haven't forgotten him. Mm, Let no. me tell you more stories. It's, it's such a nice feeling. If, when people have said, you know, it's taken you a long time, and it's really taken me over 14 years to write the book, the, the, the interactions I've had since the book was released the last week of July stories I've heard, the people who've outreached, this is everything I could have asked for and more. I, I, I want you to know that I truly appreciated the moments of self-awareness that you have in the book, whether you reference at the end your uh, the suggestion that you go to therapy and, and see a, a mental health professional in order to deal with the loss of your brother, and the ability to share that in, in a public forum is really not only important as a patient or but also important to other doctors to remind doctors that you too are human and i i liked another line where um in the chapter in chapter 11 entitled after the catastrophe moving forward you said according to what he told me the doctors regarded me as a little bit of a loose cannon. You, um, you clearly have a, a level of intelligence that is above norm and took that, that ability to educate yourself very early on in your medical career as to be, the, the best efforts available for your brother and the different um, techniques and courses, et cetera, courses of, of treatment, I should say, that could be available to your brother. But with all of that knowledge, it's frankly your chutzpah, which I <laughs> totally, totally admire, let's be honest. It is your chutzpah that allowed you to stand up in situations where, with the medical hierarchy the way it is, you should have remained silent. But something inside you that, well, let's call it chutzpah, allowed you to just stand up and say, no, I think you should look at this. Maybe, I, maybe you have it wrong. You might want to try this. I've made these phone calls. Is it that? Is it, is, does that chutzpah still exist? Or is that something that came out like a fight or flight reaction because it was your brother? It depends if you ask my wife or not. Well, she's not on the call there, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with all seriousness, I, I think that it became a scenario of feeling like there was, there was no tomorrow unless you really put your foot down. And that's not usually me in this. It, it, that's not usually me in the normal world. I, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm determined, I'm motivated. But for people who've known me beforehand, they would say I'm the quiet and shy one. Um, this was something where I sort of felt like the world was on my shoulders. And I, and I can honestly tell you that if the roles were reversed, Barry would have done even more. Mm. Let's talk for a second, because we only have a few minutes left. Let's talk for a second about um, the, the anecdote you share about your wife's crazy health issue. And thank God your wife is fine. And you mentioned the whole medical scenario of um, you're not always looking for zebras. Sometimes the beating of hooves is really a horse. And I, I, it's, I, that happens to be a medical term that I, that I love. You're not always looking for the crazy 
crazy answer to a situation. You're looking to, you know, sometimes what's right in front of you is exactly what's right in front of you. But the part of that anecdote about your wife that I thought was so interesting that I, I that that reminded me or that you took, I should say, as, as such a teachable moment for you was the need to inform patients what is going on with them instead of le- leaving patients in the dark. Could you could you talk to, about that for a second? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it being your wife had additional repercussions as to, you know, leaving her for an extended period of time while you, the doctor, got answers. This is a perfect example of where perception is so important. The scenario that I was living at that time was trying to figure out what could be a better option if there was a better option. And to me, time stood still because of the fact that I was just so busy. What she was doing was literally staring at a ceiling and every moment felt like an eternity. And so this was a perfect example where I came back to talk to her after having she had had some scans done, and here I am coming to her saying, we've put it all together. We've basically figured out this, this puzzle, not only, as you sort of pointed out, the expression we use all the time, when it, sounds, when, it, when it sounds like a horse, it looks like a horse, it's a horse. <laughs> and so the reality is that here we had sort of come up. The, the epiphany, the excitement that I had from the medical aspect, but also the potential therapeutic benefit, the fact that this is for my wife, suddenly I come back. And the exact same scenario is being perceived completely differently by my wife. Mm. This is a perfect example where communication is so important. Patients want to hear what's going on. Patients want to know whether or not you think, God forbid, we're worried about cancer or we're not worried about cancer. And this is an example that I give all the time where I try to talk to the patients and hit the nail right on the head so they know where I'm at and that in a week from now or in two days from now, Suddenly, there's no backpedaling as part of that conversation. Most patients, and, and really this, this virtually applies to 99.9% of patients, they're human beings who just want to know the answer mm. as you're going through it. Right. Every so often, you find someone who says, don't keep me in the loop. Just tell me at the end once you know, because it's going to drive me crazy during this process. And I respect those people. But the average patient, majority of patients, they want to be included They want to feel like they can look things up on the Internet if they want to. They can go ahead and talk to their other family members and discuss what's happening as the process is going on because being in a black cloud, being hidden from what's going on, it only creates more stories in their mind and the perception is either that the people are neglecting them, the physician's not addressing these issues, or maybe it's just the bottom pile, they forgot about it, or potentially, oh my God, it must be the worst case scenario. And this is where, again, something as simple as just communicating the process, when to expect results, all those things, it's amazing. I'll give you a comparison. Um, Again, comparing the healthcare system in Canada, and this is only a small snippet. Uh, A friend of mine's mother just had an MRI of the spine and had a uh, stress test. And just had it means that they had it about two to three weeks ago, and they're still waiting for the results. Mm. That would never fly here right? right. in the U.S., but <laughs> that's the expectation. There's certain, it, it, I'm not trying to say that the system is better in one place or the other, but the reality is that you need to have communication. You need to create the expectation, and what that does, it doesn't put other people in the dark. Knowledge is power. Exactly. 
Knowledge is power. And this working, bet- the relationship between a patient and a doctor needs to be a collaborative one. It just works out better for everyone. It needs to be a two-way street. And that's where part of the things that I'm hoping that people get out of this is that the other side of the bed is not just what the doctor has to perceive the patient is going through. And obviously, the difference between empathy of knowing or trying to understand what it's like to be on the other side of the bed as opposed to sympathy, which is just, I feel bad for the situation. Mm. But the other side of the bed also means that the patients need to understand what the physicians are going through as well. And I had a patient today who I saw this morning who specifically said to me, I come into the office, I enjoy seeing you, I talk to you, but it never occurred to me that you had a world behind you. Mm. You had a family. Wow. That you may have had a loss and that you're human too. Wow. That is an excellent, excellent message. Dr. Daniel Mishkin, author of The Other Side of the Bed. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can also go to theothersideofthebed.com. Check out the website, buy the book, but also read the anecdotes. Read more about Barry. It's certainly, certainly worth it. Dr. Mishkin, I thank you for taking the time to speak to us this morning. I really hope you didn't keep any patients waiting. I mean, we went a little bit over the time that I told you we would go. Um, but uh, I wish you and your family a happy and a healthy and um, all good things to you and the extended Mishkin family. All the best to you, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely my pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We have a full afternoon of programming for you right after That's Life. It is the live lunch hosted by Nahum Siegel right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm hoping that we have a conversation during the live lunch about kneeling versus flags versus this versus that. I'm not sure that either Yoni or Nahum are going to want to partake in the conversation with me, but I'm hoping I can entice them into doing so. And then, of course, a full afternoon of programming continues after the conclusion of that program. There is no Arab Shabbos show Thursday night tonight. There is no show this week. It will return next week, Tuesday night. Aha, different time. Tuesday night and Wednesday morning of next week. It will be dubbed the Arab Yuntif show just for that episode. You want to make sure to tune in. I'm going to pull up the music in the background. It is my... Uh, it is my nod to Yom Kippur, which of course begins here in the New York and begins tomorrow evening in the New York area and of course around the world Friday night. This is Valkoan in by Shlomo Katz, so you can hear her coming up in the background. Tomorrow morning, join Malcolm as he hosts JM and AM from six to nine AM Eastern Time. The weekly update with Malcolm Honeline is scheduled as always to take place at seven forty AM. At the conclusion of JM and AM, join Naomi for a brand new edition of Table for Two. The Arab Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem this week with an Arab Yom Kippur feel will begin after Table for Two and continue right until candlelighting here in the New York area. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull? We think so, yes. Of course, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this Matzah Yom Kippur. And Matis hosts JM Sunday as he has been seamlessly making us all look bad since its inception this Sunday. At 7 a.m. Eastern Time. I want to wish everyone an easy and meaningful fast. Igmar Chatimatova to all. My thanks to your support. You can show your support for us at fjbunity.org. If you like what you hear, make sure you can continue to hear more. fjbunity.org. Again, this is about Cohen in by Shlomo Katz. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs> When I flee my plane, are you going to
ערבים. ומורידים ונפלים על פניהם. היו כוהרים, כוהרים ומשתחווים. ומורידים ונפלים על פניהם. היו כוהרים, כוהרים ומשתחווים. ומורידים ונפלים על פניהם 